Good morning, Sarah Hepwa. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. I would like to say that um, I got up this morning. Well, first of all, I'm up here in the barn where we've been renovating. We're up here for a couple of weeks. And uh, we had an exterminator come yesterday. He was actually next door. My mom's, I'm like, you know, we have a few mice here. And, you know, they just get into everything. Like you buy a bag of granola, you get up the next day, and they've, they've eaten through the bag of granola. Okay, that's fine. So they put down some traps. So then going to sleep last night at 1030, what do I hear? And it's like dragging the trap around in the garage, which the garage is attached oh, to. Oh, yeah. Just hearing like, clack, clack, clack. But we couldn't find it. And I still can't find it this morning. So I don't know. We're going to either find it or we're going to start smelling it. But it was um, a little disconcerting. To don't to you kind of need to get a cat? No, I do not. But I, listen, I actually, that's not a terrible idea. Because <laughs> I could have one up, up here because it could just, uh, but can it? Can it be without me when I'm not here for like three months is the question in the way. Well, three months is a little yeah, bit, it's, it's a little work. bit of too much independence. Although um, cats are awful. They're awful they self-sufficient creatures. Um, when I got up this morning, it was six o'clock and I sat looking to the east, looking up at the clouds, which were, I've never seen anything so perfect and so beautiful. And there is a reason why when people are sad or depressed, they're like, look up, look at the bright side because it's just right there. It was so, so beautiful. Such a beautiful, perfect morning. I know. The sky beautiful. just seems like this, this like extraordinary miracle of a gift that we all participate in forgetting about like every single day. Every day. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the sky and it's, there's like incredible blue and then like there's different kinds of clouds moving at different speeds. And then like there's a bird flying across and then you can also hear the birds. You can also hear the wind. I'm like, what does this create? This backdrop is, it, it's, beyond perfect like it's if i'm i'm in i'm in an amazed mood let's let's take an advantage of it so you're like this screensaver is really good this, i just can't believe how amazing you look sarah Heffel. i'm just gonna sit i can't even be able to talk i'm just gonna sit here and stare at you because <laughs> you're time. in such a mesmerized I'm, mood I'm so, you're seeing I'm, everything through the lens of beauty now i'm so blessed i'm very blessed um yeah so i think we we wanted to talk about a little things that well first of all Big a, breaking big news. news. You actually sent me something like, did you see the breaking news? I'm like, what? What happened? Was it that 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 Trump called Chris Christie a fat pig, which he apparently did yesterday? But um, Sarah, break it. Break the big, big news. That motherfucker is not real. Her. She is real, actually. She's real the the identity of the lady on the plane has been revealed and, and, and she you has, thought she wasn't real you thought that motherfucker wasn't real well that was kind of one of my things i mean we're talking about ai and people doing things and people creating things for their own sort of uh i don't know notoriety or pleasure or getting one over and at, at a certain point i was like maybe she's not real but in fact she's your neighbor well, she was at some point. It's true. Um, the uh, the identity of the woman on the plane uh, who went viral about a month ago um, has been revealed to be Tiffany Gomez, who is a 38-year-old marketing executive from Dallas. I knew she was from Dallas. She looks like a Dallas woman. <laughs> okay. Um, 
You know, it's funny. When this was revealed, there were a lot of people on Twitter. All these guys were like, oh, my God, I've been obsessed with that woman for a month. Like, I can't, I can't stop thinking about that woman. Interesting. Like, I know. I know. Huh. She really had a hold on the erotic imagination of many of many people in this country. Um, they need to just go to like an uptown wine bar in Dallas. <laughs> there's many of them. There's the, dozens of them. Hang out with a and bunch they're all named, of... They're all named Tiffany. They're all named Tiffany, so, Amber, and yeah. Brie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it took about a month or so for this to come out. Um, but it was actually originally broken by a woman on, on Substack. Uh, who uh, I think was named Brie. Who actually was named Free. That's yes. why the name was in my head. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's true. Um, and she had uh, just basically done a FOIA, which is a freedom of information, you know, request for the police report. And when she got the police report, she had the name of the woman. And it took a little time for this to filter up to the New York Post and then eventually the Daily Mail, who then went to town on all her publicly available information. Um, you know, so so the story broke and had pictures of her from a 2017 rising star. Uh, like she was like a rising star in her marketing company or something like that. And then it also had pictures of her house, which said that, you know, she lived in this neighborhood it, it, it was this two million dollar house, which didn't look like my neighborhood at all. But but um, it said she lived in my neighborhood, and I was like, "Holy cow, she lives like really close to me." Uh, and then I I went actually went to the police report that had been posted, where the the actual uh, addresses are redacted, but that is an old address of hers. Just okay. by the way, she doesn't actually live in my neighborhood. She lives in a suburb west of Fort Worth. Um. But uh, yeah, this was this was big news. What what do you think about that? There were there was actually a lot of um, there was a lot of grumbling on Twitter that this was a completely unnecessary reveal, and that uh, you know, there, especially people felt like they had doxed this woman. You know, well, what I thought was interesting um, was the police report, which I'm going to just kind of limit here. Lim L I M M. Um, so she was taken off the plane the the flight attendants decided she could not be on this plane and i i think that's right and of course it was a pretty big inconvenience because of her outburst they took everybody off the plane and then they they all had to get back on so you know people aren't super happy about that though what a bizarre situation um but the police report is that she apparently was quite agitated she twice went back through security i think and then eventually they, they couldn't find her. When they found her, she was like out on the curb waiting for an Uber. They tried to cite her for some sort of not gigantic offense, disorderly conduct or something. And she wouldn't sign the police report. And then she just sort of disappeared. And they didn't like I thought what kind of I mean, I guess it is a little um, squishy. Like, what do you cite her for? Like, well, she, she interrupted people. She inconvenienced people. She was certainly, she seemed pretty hysterical, but what's, what's the crime? So she, I thought it was very, I thought the sort of um, opaqueness of the police report was interesting. I think that the fact that she was able to hide for so long 
is interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't really know that that's a failure on the part of journalists. I'm sure there were a bunch of people, you know, looking for her casually or a little less casually, like this woman, Bree, who, who found her. But I want to say we, we talked early on um, about why she might have done this, what kind of break. Was she under sort of like some sort of like ambient or drinking? Um, yeah. It turns out that she, it seems pretty clear that she was accusing someone she was traveling with, maybe a relative, of taking her AirPods, her her earbuds, or or maybe she misplaced them. We don't know. I know the fact that all of this, this whole drama stems from such a mundane little disagreement is so wild. I think, and of course I can't really make this claim, it's just a, it's a, an opinion, an observation. I think she was drunk. I think she mm-hmm. was. Um, I, I know that in my past, when I've been sort of like agitated and have drank too much, I do idiotic things. Not that, not that idiotic in public, I don't think. But your whole judgment and your whole sort of just bleeding things at bleed p-l-e-a-t i'm the teacher today um is 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 you do these things that are just they make no sense and even and if you look at them the next day you're like why did i do that why did i think it was sensible then but you just get in this sort of like kind of hysterical moment i mean you can comment on this i'm sure what what do you think do you think by because no i've always yeah i've always thought alcohol was involved because there was this volatility Right. This um, aggression and volatility, which is is I've seen so many times uh, yeah. in myself and others. Um, but, you know, but I will say like the police report makes no mention of her being inebriated. It just so, says she's agitated, that she seemed very yeah. agitated. And you know, so, yeah, it's hard to know. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's it's of course, the Internet had floated ideas that there was some shapeshifter on the plane and some there was some fantasy about a guy in a green or yellow hoodie that had freaked her out right. I mean there were all yeah. sorts of theories that people hopped on um but yeah she's uh she's a marketing executive in Dallas again do you think that it was an invasion of her privacy to to publish that that stuff about her so um I'm sorry to say this as a journalist who's written about people who then didn't want to be written about. If you do something in public, like for instance, when I wrote to the bridge, Amanda dropped her children off a bridge. This was front page news. And people said, you shouldn't write about this because you're like invading her privacy. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like this, this happened in public. Now throwing your children off a bridge is a little bit different than shouting at a plane. And of course the internet made it such a public Thing. If there were no cell phones, we would probably not know about this story at all. It wouldn't have even rated a, a one-inch item in a in a local paper, probably, or it might have. Um, oh God, no, no, no! Yeah, Nobody would have been writing right, about this, right? It's just so. So the internet makes it a story. Um, it is a bit of a. It's a bit of a crazy story. I, you know, is it an invasion of her privacy? Yes and no. She chose to do something, or however much control she had over it, she chose to do something in public. And you know what, Sarah, she's a marketing executive, okay? She's not someone who, like, lives in a cave and wouldn't have any idea about how this stuff works. You know, she she might have thought, maybe she did think that, wow, I'm, I'm going to be infamous tomorrow. I'm going to be notorious tomorrow or famous tomorrow. But um, I, I'm going to kind of lean on 
no, it's not really an invasion of her privacy because she chose to do what she did. Well, you know, it makes me think about the fact that like for much of my early lifetime, people's physical addresses were not only available, but came to your doorstep in a large manual that you could flip through easily. You know, it's just so interesting to me (laughs) that, that at a time when information is, you know, is everywhere, we are so possessive and secretive about the place we live. I mean, I, I am too, like, believe me, I don't want somebody publishing where I live. Oh, you know? I, I wrote an article, I think it was 2008 for Willamette Week, the local alt weekly in Portland. And it was called, um, there goes the neighborhood race, real estate and gentrification on my block. And the cover picture they chose to use was me and my neighbor sitting on my stoop. She's black. I was white. And her little girl was like standing in my doorway. And right by the doorway was the address, was the the number of my house, 63. Now, the thing about it is that the article was about my block, which I named, and only like the five houses right there. And they had a graphic that they drew with an arrow pointing to the thing. We had people showing up at the doorstep. We had people banging on the doors. This one dude particularly who lived like 30 blocks away, he was kind of out of it. And he was like, I grew up here. I don't know why you didn't include me in this piece. And he was wanted to come at me. And my husband was like, like he kept coming back. And then my neighbor, Squeaky, who was on the cover with me, who grew up in the neighborhood, she came and gave him a piece of around. You stop bothering that lady. So it was sort of like, I didn't like that. So yes, you have to be a little protective of that. But they didn't. They didn't publish her address, did they, in the paper? No, it, it actually doesn't have her address. And I couldn't, I mean, I I couldn't figure out where it, it would be. You'd have to be a better internet, internet sleuth than I am to figure out where that house is. Okay. I'm not saying it's impossible. There may be some sort of Google Maps searching function that I'm not familiar with. Um, or, right. you know people in that area that happen to be in that area might, but I mean, I, li- I literally live in the neighborhood of that house and have absolutely no idea where so that she- house would be. It doesn't look like other houses in my neighborhood. It so, looks like a, a different suburb. Um, as far as I know, she has not come out and made a, she's now been va- unveiled. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, she has not made any comment about no. this. No. Um, why do you think that is? She doesn't, you know, she wants to live her life. I mean, you know, she doesn't want, I don't, I don't know that there's any good, I guess if you were somebody that, that wanted a measure of internet notoriety, I mean, you know, you have these people that get involved in these viral stories and then suddenly they capitalize for 15 seconds on their little, their little punchline and they make it a, you know, a, a song or they go on Dr. Phil or whatever you know, they, they have their little burst of fame. She doesn't want to do that. And yeah. you know, okay. who can blame her for that? Yeah. I, I, I don't know that it, that it's such a, a ride that I would recommend to people that I love. No, not definitely, definitely not. Um, so go, go. I was going to say before we, um, segue over to anything else today. Yeah. I wondered if we could give a a little heads up to our <gasps> listeners that oh. we are going to have a letters episode soon. Oh, are we? Oh, that's right. 
we are going to have a letters And we episode. would like to have a little call for letters. So we have a couple in the queue, but any questions you've been burning to ask us, um, you know, anonymously or under your own name, um, we are going to be answering those fairly soon. And when Sarah says letters, she really means letters. But since we're actually not going to give you our home addresses, you yeah. can just find one of those little like apps, like those invitation things. It's like a little card and then like it'll pop up and like your little message will be written on the card. So you can do it that way. Or you could just email us at smokeandpodcast at gmail.com. You could do that. Um, I would also like to mention, I'm I'm going to get overcome even mentioning it. We have a, if, if all things, if the stars align, we have a guest coming up next week that I, I could not be more bowled over that this person is going to appear with us. And, um, and Sarah is too. And I, we're just, we're very excited. We're very, very excited. We love, we love. So we were talking about how excited we were about our upcoming guests next week. So excited that Sarah's microphone cable exploded. So (laughs) I gestured, I gestured um, dramatically and I, not only unplugged my microphone, but then now it is not plugging back in. So I can't take it. Hear a small change in how I sound. It's That's because, why. So we'll yeah. fix it for next time, kids. Anyway, um, uh, God willing, uh, this person will be with us on Monday, and then we'll release it probably on Monday as well. And we're just, we're just, uh, I'm really honored, um, and that that she we can just we can name her sex that she has she will choose to be with us so um sarah you sent me it's funny when you sent me this yesterday and it said hillsboro the first thing i thought was outside of portland it's a it's a suburb but it's spelled differently and when when you were telling me something absolutely inane that was happening and like that this that the city government or teachers could be involved with us like well of course because i cannot tell you Every, I read Oregon Live pretty much every day. What is going on there is so incredible day by day. And I know we always hear the bad news. We hear the things. But for instance, and I'm, I'm going to botch all the details, but last year they were opening this sort of like tiny home place for, for the homeless. And But what they were going to do, the county was going to get all these like nonprofits to do all the actual services. Well, it's months and months in now, and there are absolutely no services from anybody. There's zero. There's just people in these sort of little units. But they did get one company to maybe pledge to give a donation of pet food one time. Oh, God. That's where your tax dollars are going in Portland. Anyway, much more to discuss from there. As people know who read Make More Pie, I'm, I'm on the Portland story. But in any case, this was a different Hillsboro with something else crazy going on. Do you want to want to tell us yes. about that? This is Hillsboro, a school district in Florida. And a piece in the Tampa Bay Times yesterday uh, reported that the district is only using excerpts of Shakespeare in fear of the newly expanded Parental Rights and Education Act. Now, this, of course, is uh, something that was signed by DeSantis, and it's, it's you know, it's in, intended to have schools steer clear of class discussion that is sexual in nature, unless mm-hmm. it's related to something like a health class. And people may remember it. It passed last year. The people were some calling it the, the don't say gay bill. That's what people were, the slang for it, where you're not, you're not allowed to talk about gender ID or sexual orientation, but the problem with the law is that it's completely vague. 
it's completely vague. So you could sue for anything. Anybody could sue the school district for anything that they perceived might not be in in line with what they want their child to learn. Yeah. I mean, the problem with a lot of these reactionary red state laws is that the language is written so vaguely. Um, You know, we can have an argument about what's appropriate and inappropriate in the classroom or, you know, but but the way that they write these, it just takes everything like like there. I was um, recently looking into um, uh, there was a, a, a law here in Texas that was about, um, you know, it's kind of intended to target drag shows. Right. But the way that they wrote the language, it was like any prop that's used to enhance the female form in front of children. Like a bra? Well, yeah, I mean, accessory. I'm sorry, not prop, but accessory. It's like, how do you define accessory? And, you know, so there's this discussion about, like, does this include the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders? Does this include, could this include bachelorette parties? Um, you know, I've, I've been, you know, there are these different, like, restaurants like Twin Peaks and Hooters and, you know, all, all those places. How, how do we delineate what this means exactly? So the language is very vague. And one of the things that happens when you get this vague language is that people get overly cautious and they start making arbitrary, you know, decisions. And so in this Hillsborough uh, district, they have decided to start using only excerpts of Shakespeare. So in other words, there's not going to be, you know, you're not going to read the full play. You're just going to read certain, certain parts of it. Um, they quote a, a teacher in here saying, I think the rest of the nation, you know, the world is laughing at us taking Shakespeare in its entirety out because the relationship between Romeo and Juliet is somehow exploiting minors is just absurd. And, um, and the, the, the reason that they're saying, the reason that they've given this particular district is because in quotes, it's aimed at better performance on state tests. Yeah. That's the other thing. Which struck me as just such a weenie thing to say. It's like, there's this law it's almost impossible to comply with because you have no idea if you're going to be dinged because some random parent or some group of parents or who or the legislature or whoever decides that you're doing something wrong. So we'll just really get rid of everything and we're going to say it's because of tests that have changed, which I'm, I'm sure the tests have changed if, if everything else is changing down there. But it's, it's, so, it's so kind of artificially coy. It's like, why don't you just say, well, you know what? We got to take it out because we're scared we're going to get sued. I mean, that's what this one, I guess, kind of teacher is saying because that's yeah. what it is. And also, I, I mean, I have a question here. How, okay, we're assuming that we educate children in order to help them think, right? We don't educate children in order to help them pass a test. I mean, yes, you do. I mean, you know, you've got a math test and you've learned some, things, equations and stuff, and you have to pass the test. Okay. But the idea that you're going to chop up stuff, how does this help kids think? It's like showing someone like uh, like with the Mona Lisa and you show them like it, it's cut into a grid of 16 and you show them three of the little grids. How does this help them think? How does this help them understand art? How does this help them 
decide to put things together in interesting ways for themselves. When you've got this sort of, you know, nanny stating going on, um, which is obviously, look, it's culture war shit. And we know that. How is this helping kids? I don't know. And I don't know what, what Shakespeare was like in your high school, but I got to tell you the highlights were learning the sexual innuendos. I mean, it was the best part of, of any of these, of this instruction was the time when your cool teacher would be like, okay, by the way, this is a double yep. entendre for X, Y, or Z. And you're like, oh, really? You know, cause you're friggin', you know, 15 years old, 16 years old and making stupid puns out of every possible sexual, you know, entendre. Well, someone in the piece did say, it's like, but the reason, you know, Shakespeare had some raunchy stuff in his plays back then was to sell tickets, right? You wanted to get people into the theater. And um, I frankly, I mean, I haven't read a ton of Shakespeare, but I've read some Shakespeare and I don't remember it being like overly raunchy. I mean, what, is, what the, the, the kids are going to like lose their minds if they see an ankle in the Merry Wives of Windsor. It's like, what do they, what do they think that these kids are seeing? What do well, they think? that's what's so interesting to me about these laws that are around banning books in the class or, or, you know, limiting books in the library, for instance, or limiting Shakespeare in classrooms is that it seems like such a futile attempt to put a finger in the dam of the internet. You know, this unstoppable force that has introduced all sorts of things into the American imagination. I mean, I, I always found the, the argument over the, whether you call them book bannings or whatever you call them, in the libraries to be almost quaint. I mean, who the hell is getting their information from a school library these days? I'm sure some people are. And I understand that curating what's in a library does have some political you know, messaging, but like most of us have very many other ways to find other, you know, other information these days. You could also argue that if a kid has a pretty steady diet of TikTok or uh, where, wherever they, they are, you know, wherever they're spending time or they're doing video games or whatever, that going to the library and reading, you know, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison or Catcher in the Rye or Huck Finn is actually a beautiful, like, slow down kind of tonic complement to what they do in their fast everyday lives. Now, I don't know if they do it as much because, you know, reading takes time and you have to do it by yourself and it's a, it's, you, you don't get to play with your phone at the same time, hopefully. Um, so I don't know how many of them are doing it, but to take, for instance, those three books out of the library, which are some of the books that are being banned, yeah. it's like, so then you want them to just have a steady diet of TikTok. You don't want them to go and read different classics, or maybe you disagree with the classics because you know they used words that we don't use anymore. It's like, why don't you let the kids learn? Why don't you give them a buffet and let them have the opportunity? I mean, I think banning Shakespeare is just, it's just, or not banning it, but selectively. Yeah, redacting it, and who, selecting it, yeah. Who, I mean, who makes the choices? Who chooses what sections? Like, well, one of the reasons this came to attention was that uh, I think one of the, I don't know if she was a teacher on the school board or what, but she went to Facebook and was talking about how arbitrary this was. Um, you know, it, it's a great example of, of you know, just these overly cautious, you know, they're just going to start pulling things back. I mean, one of the cool things about studying sex in Shakespeare is the awareness that 
raunchiness and dirtiness existed in all these other eras. You know, it's a soft way into understanding that sex has always been part of the human imagination and, and the human experience. Um, you know, most generations tend to think they invented sex, right? Right. They, you know, and, right. and so discovering that these Elizabethan, Elizabethan op- audiences had such a body sense of humor and a whole other vocabulary uh, for dirtiness is, is kind of, I think, a lovely eye-opening education. Um, I, I agree. And I just, I, the idea that one person or one group of people are going to make the decisions of what is cool and what is not, is just, it's never going to work. You have to let the authors work. Now, you could say, I mean, I don't agree with this at all, but if they had said, okay, no more Shakespeare, period. We're just not going to do Shakespeare because we feel it's, I don't know, it's inflammatory. It's going to get the kids too horny or whatever. I think it would be absolutely idiotic. But that's not as bad almost as chopping it up and we decide what you get. This is, this is, this is just nonsense. Who's making these decisions? Sorry to repeat myself, but it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. If they're going to make these decisions this year, next year, you know, we're going to have a different site, guys. We're going to have some different people in there and then it's going to be different. How the hell does this, did, did, you're going to have to keep the kids in, in eighth grade for 44 years before they can read the entire play based on what people think that they should be allowed to read. I mean, look, I'm impressed that kids are understanding Shakespeare in this day and age, you know? So um, I, I I looked up some of Shakespeare's dirtiest lines just to get a sense of what they might be <laughs> redacting. Um, do you want to hear some of them? Yes, of course I do. Okay, well, so this one is from Hamlet. Uh, and Ophelia says to our prince... Um, you are keen, my lord, you are keen, to which he replies, it would cost you a groaning to take off my edge. So he's got Do a boner, basically. He's got it. Yeah. Do you get it? Do you get it? I got it. it. I got it. I mean, if you were in eighth grade, that would be awesome. I know. It'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, okay. This is from Much Ado About Nothing. And Benedict says to Beatrice, I will live in thy heart, die in thy lap, and be buried in thine eyes. Now that sounds like a very romantic line, until you know that die is actually an Elizabethan euphemism for orgasm. One more time then. I like multiples. I will live in thy heart, die in thy lap, and be buried in thine eyes. Hmm. Frisky. Yeah. A little frisky, yeah. Yeah. Here's here's one from a midsummer night stream. My cherry lips have often kissed thy stones, thy stones with lime and hair knit up in thee. Yeah, I that that's not even that subtle in it. Oh, that one not- stones and the hair and the Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And a a classic one. Here's the last one from Othello. Iago says, I am one, sir, that comes to tell you your daughter and the more are now making the beast with two backs. Oh, the beast with two backs. I always love that phrase. I yeah. think it's a really it's fantastic. I mean, that's in the lexicon, the beast with two backs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still around. Yeah. And if you've never heard it, write it and tell you us what you think it is. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I, I don't think we are, you know, they're trying to kind of, we talk about childproofing the internet. They're like childproofing childhood here. Like I, I just, it's, it's really misguided. There are some things I don't think are misguided to maybe protect children from, but this is very misguided and very political and I, it, it's, it's idiotic. And I, and you know what, I don't think it's going to, I mean, again, I'm always glass half full. This is going to go one of two ways. It's going to continue and grow more because we're going to decide, ah, oh, yes, this is the, this is the, the bag into which we want to throw all of our um, prohibitions or people are going to go, this is moronic and just overturn it. I, I, I can't say which one it's going to be. It, it does m- make you wonder how on earth they're going to be teaching Romeo and Juliet, you know, and, and, and how the idea that they're 13 and 14, uh, well, how that goes over. I mean, we talk about how, you know, love and sex, sex since time immemorial, there was a difference back then. You were getting married at 11 and 12 and 13 because you were having children then. Right. So we do, we have changed some things. We have laws that are 18 now because even though maybe biology hasn't changed, we have changed the way we live. I remember um, seeing the, I don't know if it was the original Romeo and Juliet, but the, the movie, the Zeffirelli movie. Yeah. When I was a young teenager and it was just the, I mean, the thing about it, I don't remember it that well because I've seen it many, many decades ago, but it was steamy. And it was heartbreaking. And I Mm -hmm. think that's really not a bad combination, you know, to be pulled into, no puns here, pulled into someone's story so deeply. And it's, you know, it's so the family and the drama and the beauty and the youth and the danger. It's, it's an amazing, amazing story. And to, I, I think kids should be able to, to get that whole story. It, it's very meaningful. We're talking about consequential things in life, um, love and death and strife and warring factions. I actually lived in Brooklyn Heights and the, the main street is called Montague Street and there was a bar on Montague Street called Capulets. So mm. we had both, both families there. I mean, that's a story that young people should be able to read. It's important. It's important because that's actually what the, the field of life is like. It, it is. And, and they My should not. Kids, when I taught, I actually taught Romeo and Juliet. Oh. Yeah. I taught it when I was a high school teacher for a hot second in 1997. And it was, or 1998. It was one of the texts that they got most into. I really thought they would find the language, you know, difficult and stilted because they're so young, but they really loved it. And of course, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire Danes movie had right. come out not long ago, the Baz Luhrmann version. Right. And they they sort of became obsessed with it. And we had great fun reading that, you know, because it was about their age. Right. But the, the kids right. were, there, you know. Right. They were 14 teenagers. years old. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, again, I just, I just, I, my, my questions are why. What's, what are the real organic reasons under this? that people are doing this. What's the real reason? And I, and I just think it's, it's where we are politically, you know, DeSantis. Um, I don't think he's done everything horribly. I think he actually made some pretty good moves during the pandemic, but this is just nonsensical. 
And I, I don't, I, I don't think, it, I don't think it benefits the kids at all. And I, I have problems with that because that's what he really should be thinking about. He shouldn't just be thinking about his political platform and what people are going to like him and how if it's going to be a weapon against Donald Trump and because he's going to be the one that took a stand against the drag shows. Well, okay, how's that working out for the kids? It's bullshit. Well, I think this is the kind of story that makes that whole thing look really bad. I mean, this got national attention and nobody nobody wants to see Shakespeare being, you know, picked out of classrooms, you know, picked apart. Well, we'll, we'll see. Um, so that seemed to be, it seems to sort of be the, um, I don't know if it's the theme of the of the month, but you did send me another link. You were the link sender yesterday, Sarah Hepla, um, about a, a law that passed in 2022. Um, it was, it was introduced by a Louisiana congressperson, I believe representative, uh, Lori Schlegel. And she decided that, um, that people that are using, is it just Pornhub or is it all porn sites? Do you know, Sarah? It seems to target Pornhub specifically. Okay. Um, that in order to use Pornhub to go on, which right now, if you go, I actually, I, I know I was talking about this last night, which I, I got a good laugh at this. I've actually never been on Pornhub except when you sent me the incredible data that they did. I think it was 2019 that they did like data on their own users and where and when and how often it was, it was the best data set I've actually ever seen. It's incredible. Um, but I just have not, I just not a Pornhub user. I have been on another one called uh, RedTube. Have you ever heard of RedTube? I have. Yeah. I haven't been on a lot, but I have been there a few times, but in any case, uh, this representative introduced, I guess, a bill saying, if you're going to go on it right now, all you do, it's like over 18, click here. Great. Okay. Done. Now, yeah, it's basically like a little thing that you right, check. Right. Now it's required that you input some state ID. And this is aimed at having underage users not use Pornhub. Well, okay. But what happened? Guess what? A lot of other people don't want to put in their ID. Okay. No way. I do not want to put in my ID. I am not putting in my goddamn ID. Not- Doing that it's a Pornhub. Like, I'm straight out. I so it apparently so so this passed in Louisiana, and then six other states mm-hmm. basically passed almost identical laws. I think it was Arkansas, Montana, Mississippi, Utah, Virginia, and Texas. Sarah Hepla, so girl, yes, no, girl, Texas, it's, it's not in effect yet. But it's oh, it isn't. Get here. you better get in there, girl. I want you no, all I, night. I, I, just actually, I'm not a big Pornhub <laughs> user. In fact, I went to it yesterday too, and I was just like, I mean, talk about the opposite. I mean, like, talk about the opposite of innuendo. You know, it's just like exactly get it out of my eyeballs. It, okay, I had the conversation last night about this. Like, why don't we? I promise we'll get back to the story, but this is really what you want anyway. I don't enjoy watching pornography. Why don't I, why don't I, and, and I was told, well, Nancy, you know, you think you have a lot of dude-like qualities, but in this case, you really don't. I was like, okay, but here's why. All right. So it's so, there's, okay, you go on, let's say you're going on, um, sexy lesbian cheerleaders. I'm making this up. This isn't my particular beat, but sexy lesbian cheerleaders. You go on, there are like 25 year old women with like completely exaggerated body parts that they've had implanted going like, ah, ah, 
and like touching each other in this completely fake way. This is like not, how is this sexy? I don't, I don't get it. Maybe I'm, maybe I've clicked on the wrong things. And, um, I mean, what I have very rarely, the only porn I can recall that I ever thought was amazing is going to show you what a stupid little art house girl I am. It was some weird thing many years ago, like decades ago, I clicked on something and it was like these little tiny, small little vignettes. I think it was all women, but they were like stories, like little, like weird. It was very weird. And it was just the absolute opposite of what you see this sort of like over it in your face stuff. And it kind of pulled you in. And I was like, wait, what's happening here? Like, I don't get it. And then it was like really sexy. And that I thought was hot. I don't know where I saw it. I've never seen it again. But if that's what porn was, I would watch porn. I mean, I know that's, and that's totally my erotic appetite too. Like I once did just basically like a journalistic, you know, discovery process of like, I'm going to watch all these different kinds of porn and which kinds do I like? Because I, I, I didn't really know. And what I found was that I liked the ones that had these slow reveals that basically led to women making out. <laughs> like that yeah, was awful. yeah what exactly. <laughs> okay, well. I'm so vanilla. But, <laughs> but there was something a little bit mysterious and sensual about it. Whereas like yesterday when I went, to just the landing page for Pornhub, it was like all these, you know, all this sausage in my face. I mean, I just, oh. that is, I don't want, and like dripping liquids and oh. uh, it's so, no. it's no. like very strongly the opposite of what I, I want. I have to tell you, I have never, I mean, I've seen like little clips of like men and women having sex, uh, porn stuff. I've never watched a complete one. Like it just like ew, I don't know. No, no, I know. I'm very female in the yes. uh, stereotypically female in the sense that I want some story wrapped around it. And of course, porn is partly the the peeling away of those storylines and just getting to the kind of visual um well like modern porn is really more about the visual uh oomph or whatever. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm of that mind or apps or the absolute opposite. Like, just give me a close up of the orgasm. Like, that's it. That's all I need to see. I don't need anything that's else. I don't face. need, I don't need to see the face. I don't need anything. Like, we'll just do this girl coming and by like, that's it. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I've talked about it on here, but it's so, it's so hideously embarrassing that I wrote two episodes of softcore porn. I'm sorry, what? Years ago, Wait, what? <laughs> years ago, years ago, okay, years ago, my daughter is now 33. I think she was six at the time. Um, someone approached me and said she was producing this series called, okay, I really think it was called Porn for Women. And it was, um, it was, uh, it was produced by the erotic schlock master Zalman King, who'd had like the red something diaries red door diaries red diaries red what the red shoe diaries yeah red shoe diaries so that was oh, the yeah. producer and they were doing it playboy was the okay playboy was like the underwriter of it but it was going to show on showtime so they got like 20 women it was all women right 
20 women in Hollywood. Okay, the craziest crew of people, I actually knew some of them. One was this girl, Mary Warnoff, who was a, oh, she was like a Warhol factory girl when she was 16. She's gone on to do all kinds of art house movies. Mary's like a casual friend. I knew her in Hollywood. This girl, Adele Bertichecki, who was this little lesbian, lesbian punk rocker in the 70s. Me, some other people were sitting around this like big, giant, glossy table in Playboy's offices. And they're like, yeah, and we're going to do this and it's going to be this. And we're all just, okay, what's the pay? They're like, oh, we'll pay you $2,000 an episode. I'm like, sold. I had like a six-year-old. I had to make money, right? So I literally just sat down and wrote a half-hour episode called... Um, Hello, Smoke and We've Got Them listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, bi-weekly episodes with Sarah Heppler. Sarah Heppler, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little uh, interim moment for you. Um, we're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks.